My name is Ricky Spindler. I'm the lead pastor here. It's just a privilege to have you with us. And if you have your devices, please join me, and, or your Bibles as well. Join me in Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verse 3 is where we'll start at today. As we're turning there, let me just open up with this illustration that just set the tone of, our, of, of the message today. There's a place uh, called Kimney, Finland, that is world-renowned because of what happens there every year. It began in 1996. Uh, they, just, they built something for the first time called a snow castle. You got a picture of one of the more recent ones here. And every year, a different architect is chosen and designs a snow castle. It always includes an art gallery. People will hang their artwork in there. It has a restaurant that you can eat in, make a reservation. They have hotel rooms. You can spend the night there. has a chapel. Come on, somebody. You get married there. Ooh, there you go. And uh, they actually also have a 3,000-seat auditorium that is built into the caverns of that castle. They will host opera recitals there. You can pay to go watch concerts there every single year. You know, it, it takes millions of dollars to build it and also to maintain it just for the season. And as immaculate and as amazing as that is, at some point, springtime comes. And that, that incredibly well-designed fortress that's 13-foot high walls, 1,650 feet in the perimeter, will melt to the ground. And I thought to myself, I'm, when I heard that, I'm thinking, man, that is a whole lot of time, energy, and money to invest some, into something that in the end is just going to melt to the ground. You know, it is possible to build a life and waste a whole lot of time, money, and energy building something that in the end is just going to melt to the ground. Jesus, when he comes onto the scene in the book of Matthew in the first gospel, he is teaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He, some people call it, and I believe this is true, the greatest sermon ever preached. I just want you to know, though, that sermon was three chapters long, five, six, and seven. So the greatest preacher preached the greatest sermon, and it was it was a long sermon, three, three chapters. I'm just saying, I get it done about 30 minutes every week. Now, hey, listen. Jesus goes, he probably went a couple of days there. That's all I'm saying. I, so we're going to go an hour and a half, two hours today, just so you know. I'm just joking. But what is about to happen, Jesus is teaching his disciples handpicked on the side of a mountain. He calls them together. He is instructing them and those people in the peripheral how to build a life, how to build a ministry, how to build a marriage, how to build a family that will not melt in the end. He is introducing us to his way of thinking. This is his missional values, if you will. This is uh, him at the very beginning describing to us, this is how it's going to work in my kingdom. And so what I'd like to do, I want to read these, uh, these nine, if you will, beatitudes, these nine statements that Jesus makes. 
And I'd like to do them from those who are from a liturgical side of things um, to maybe do a responsive reading with these Beatitudes. So I'm going to read the first part. They all begin with blessed is this, blessed is this, blessed is this. And you are going to read the second part in response to the first statement. Now the last one, uh, the ninth one, doesn't have a, a response to it. And I'll read that one myself at the end. We're going to put the first few on the screen and just read along with me. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, there's no response reading to this one. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. How many of you know we didn't have to have that one in there? We could have just left that one out. These are what we call the Beatitudes. When the Old Testament ends, it ends with a book called uh, Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, is the last verse of the Old Testament. What follows is a white page in your Bible that represents about three to 400 years of silence. God no longer spoke to the nation of Israel because um, he no longer spoke to them through the prophets. So there was a large gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So what you have is God's last words through the prophet. God is really speaking to them. They weren't honoring uh, the proper worship. They weren't honoring the Lord with the tithes and offerings, what was required of them. And here's what God says as his last words in the Old Testament. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The last word. And no doubt, the Israelites thought they were living under a curse. Was that he would come and they would live under a curse. No doubt that as Jesus steps onto the scene, Israel was under Roman rule, 300 years of silence. And now Jesus is a grown man. And now he's beginning to teach for the first time and to preach. And the first word of the first sermon that Jesus teaches is the word blessed. Isn't that interesting? The last word is curse, but the first word is blessed. Now, when Jesus teaches these, this sermon and opens it up with these nine distinct blessings, he has multiple words to choose from. He could have chosen a word that means happy or blessed. He could have chosen eulogeo. But he didn't choose that. That was a word that meant joy or happiness is determined on something on the outside. There was another word, though, it was called makarios. And that means a deeply embedded joy, an internal joy that is not dependent upon outside circumstances. It was often referred to as the God joy. So when Jesus is saying the word, you may have a translation or a version that says happy are those. 
Some translations say Christ-like are those. But he uses the word here, makarios, blessed are those, joyful are those, filled with the God joy are those. Now, what is interesting about this, though, that I find so interesting is that he tells us that we are going to find this blessedness in the most unexpected places. You're persecuted. You're insulted. You're hungry. You're thirsty. You're in less ideal situations. And Jesus says, that's where, in those circumstances, you will find the inner God joy, blessedness. Now, when you take the sermon as a whole, the most commonly used word is the word heaven. In those three chapters that I just referred to, five, six, and seven, he uses the word heaven 24 times, one for every four verses. Jesus is comparing heavenly thinking to earthly thinking, a heavenly marriage to an earthly marriage, a heavenly finances to earthly finances. He is uh, comparing and contrasting. But what Jesus does at the beginning is he begins the sermon talking about heavenly attitudes. These attitudes are counter instinctual. They don't come naturally. They're God-given. They're spirit-born. They're cultivated over a lifetime. And if you're here and you're just coming to faith in Jesus, you've just became a Christian, this is a wonderful message for you. If you're here and you're exploring the true claims of Jesus and you're wondering, what is this Christianity thing about? Maybe you come from a Buddhist background or a Muslim background or a Hindi background. Listen, this is a wonderful series to hear Jesus talk about what it means to be a follower. And if you're like me, you follow Jesus for decades now. Ooh, listen, preparing for this message and this series, I, God is just revealing all kinds of things in my heart. It never gets old. These simple heavenly attitudes that dominate and govern the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I will say this is that we call them the Beatitudes because we created a new word in English to describe them. We put two words, beautiful and attitude, together, and we call them the B attitudes. So turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Ooh, it's going to be good. We begin today our journey through the Beatitudes with the first one. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, here it is, is the kingdom of heaven. There's a reason this is listed first. If you get this one right, the others follow behind it. I mean, think about this one. He, he could have said anything to start the sermon. He could have talked about any heavenly attitude, but what does he say? You are blessed when you are poor. Poor in spirit. Now, I will just say this. Uh, Jesus is not against you having money. That's not what this is talking about. Uh, listen, uh, Jesus doesn't care how much money you have, but he does care about how much money has you. That's a different distinction. Uh, listen, uh, the gospel's free, but to get it there costs a whole lot of money. Uh, the most expensive phrase in the whole Bible is in the King James Version, go ye. That go ye costs a whole lot of money. To, to take the gospel around the world. Um, some of the most influential biblical characters had great wealth. Abraham, 
Job. Many of the people surrounding Jesus gave him to the purse so that he could do ministry. But what he is talking about here is a spiritual bankruptcy that is required for you and I to receive and to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, when you come into the kingdom of heaven, you bring nothing that determines your status. There has to be a, an emptiness that you bring with you. When I say poverty, you think it poor in spirit. I would say poverty is when you don't have enough and when you get in situations where you don't feel like you are enough. That's poverty. You can have a whole lot of money and still live in a spirit of poverty because you never feel like you measure up and never are enough. So those are two dominated, two sides of the coin. I don't have enough resources and I don't feel like I am enough. Now listen, when you enter the kingdom of, Kevin, uh, kingdom of heaven, you enter it in and you don't have enough money to buy your way into it. And when you enter the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't matter your credentials you bring to the table. It doesn't matter your educational background, the resources you have, all the things you've accomplished in your life, all the swag that you bring into the kingdom of God. Listen, no, no, no. You don't have enough and you aren't enough. And Jesus says, that's a good thing. Life has a way of getting you in circumstances where you experience poverty. I remember in preparation, I was thinking through uh, the story of Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, how when at one point, if they were a nation, they would have had the 13th largest economy in the world. And when Apple was at its height, one of its heights, Steve Jobs uh, had pancreatic cancer. Ultimately, that would kill him. And I remember thinking about that. Here's a man in one sense who's rich, but in another sense, is completely in poverty. Life will have a way of bringing you into the poor in spirit moment. And when we get in these poor in spirit moments, the instinct of humanity is one to move towards anxiety and a close-handedness. I'll prove this to you. Our first instinct always when we get into poverty-like situations is this, is to have a close-handed anxiety. When my children were born, I was there at the birth of both of them. When they entered the comfort, when they entered the chaos of the world and left the comfort of the womb, they did not do so happily. I mean, when they, they are getting free meals and living it up in a nice incubated state, when they came out in that transition, listen, it didn't take them long to start screaming, start crying, complaining about this. This is what in the world? I, I, I am my first instinct. And what did they do? They all come out with closed hands. It is the instinct that when we get in situations where we feel like we're not enough, we don't have enough, we close our hands. You know, there are many things that can lead to a close-handed anxiety in our life. I've listed a few. We can get close-handed and think, I'm never going to find love, and I'm going to die alone. Or I don't even know how I'm going to afford groceries next week. Or do people like me, or do they just tolerate me? Some of us live in that internal war of 
the struggle between do they like me or do they just put up with me? I'm never going to get out of debt. The climate, some of us are obsessed with that. Uh, global warming, it's just sounding the alarm. The end is near. Oh, World War III is coming, and, and there's just a closed hand in this. Some of you are worried right now that you can't think of anything to worry about. <laughs> we often, as a first instinct, when we get into poverty, we close our hands. What I want you to do with me, and this will come importance later, I want you to get your pen and your post-it note. If you grabbed one of those on your, your, your way in, you can participate now. I want you, for me, as just an exercise, I don't need overachievers. You're not being graded. I don't need a book. All I need for you is to write on that sheet of paper something in your life, where either, whether it's habitually, it's just something that always comes up, or just maybe a circumstance right now, what is causing you to be close-handed and filled with anxiety? Is there anything you can think of right now where you were a poor in spirit? Were you in a poverty-like situation? A decision that has to be made, and I don't know how to make it. A relationship that needs to be rebuilt, I don't know how to rebuild it. A body that's in deterioration, I don't know how to fix it. Um, where, where are you at? And I want you to write whatever that is on your sheet of paper right now. I don't need multiple, I only need one. And if it's the person sitting next to you, use code word. <laughs> All right, come on. Don't write spouse, write something else. Jesus knows what you're talking about. Ain't no one need to know. Let's give you a few seconds. Maybe you're nearing retirement and you don't have enough money. And you, man, that's like this, this thing in the future that's really getting you. And it's causing you to feel like you're in poverty. You don't have enough, and you're not enough. You know, that's our first instinct. But the Bible paints a different reality that demands a different response. In regards to our impoverished state, here's what the Scripture says in Psalms 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, when that's true, I lack nothing. Some translators say, when the Lord is my shepherding shepherd, I will lack nothing. I, I can be made complete in him. He has all of the resources that I need. And because I'm in him, I lack nothing. There, Jesus later on in this great sermon would say these words, do not worry about your life. Tomorrow has its own set of worries. Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 would say, do not be anxious about anything. So there is nothing that you've written down on your sheet of paper that should be causing you anxiety. There is nothing that you've written down on those sheets of paper that the great shepherd cannot provide or help you deal with. So I think what the Bible teaches here, poor in spirit, kingdom of heaven, is this transi transition from close-handed anxiety to open-handed trust. And what I'm going to do, now that I've prepared my case, over the next few moments, I just want to give you some reasons why I believe we need to move from this to this. And the first one is this. I want to be open-handed. I want to have open-handed trust so that I can receive all the good things that God wants to gift to me. Because if I'm close-handed 
with my guilt, my shame, my sin, my soul, then I can never receive the gift of salvation. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And he wants to display and give you good things in your life. But we cannot receive them with closed hands. And that requires a level of trust. There is a story that I, I guarantee you many of you have heard in the room. Many jungle climates around the world is where many primates or monkeys will live. And they're often a food source or um, they will capture them for different reasons. And around the world and many nations of, of Africa, they will cut off the top of a coconut or a coconut-like fruit and put in there, dig it out in the, in the middle, and will put in there just a hole big enough for the monkey to slip its hand in. And what they'll do is they'll put bait in that coconut. They'll put an orange peel or they'll put something that attracts the, the monkey and it'll come through the tree branches, come across the, the ground and look down in there and See, I want some of that and stick its hand in there and grab the orange peels. But what that monkey doesn't know is that the fruit's connected to a rope and that the rope's connected to a tree and it tries to run off with the coconut, with the orange peels, and it can't get its hand, closed hand, back out. And a few hours later, sometimes even the next day, the hunters, the gatherers will come and just throw a net over the monkey. And I just thought about that thinking about how, many, how close it is to freedom, and yet it is bound for the simple reason it won't open its hand. I think there are many of us that way with our own deliverance and freedom. We insist on our own way when God has a different way. And you can be closed-handed and live in bondage, or you can let it go, and you can live in freedom. How many of you just, when I said let it go, just thought of frozen right there? Let it go, let it go. This is my worship. Come on, sorry. I can't sing worth a lick. Second one is this. You need to open your hand to move from, from this to this so that you can share what you have. I think this is so true. Because often anxiety breeds scarcity. And this plays out in grandiose scale. Much of the inequality that we see around the world stems from greediness, corruption, waste. And listen, many of you come from nations that are, are experiencing the long-term effects of colonization. Your nation has great wealth, but because of a scarcity mentality, people are saying, I'm going to take mine and I'm going to withhold it from others. It's robbing entire nations of their wealth and prosperity. Listen to what Acts chapter 2 says. It says, There was so much generosity or open-handedness that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and gave it to those in need. You know, there is a transition in your walk with the Lord that he will move you from a closed-handedness to an open-handedness with the resources that you have. I like to say this. That's how you know the gospel's taken root, yeah. is when you become generous with your resources. There was a story out of medieval times where the Catholic Church, in order to propagate its agenda and sometimes even to protect its entities, they would hire armies, sometimes whole regalias of knights and soldiers. And in order for them to fight to the church, though, 
they said they had to be baptized. And the soldiers didn't want to be baptized, but they wanted the money, so they would get water baptized. But under one condition, that when they got baptized, they could have one hand out of the water, and that was holding their sword. Because whatever in their minds got baptized was under the control of the church and ultimately God. But they wanted to reserve their sword for the one thing that was that they could control. So how crazy people getting water baptized and an arm just sticking out and waving a sword. I think sometimes that is the way that we walk in our relationship with the Lord, though. God, you can have all of me, but there's this one thing that I'm keeping my grip on. And you know what it is for the American church or the Western church often? It's your money. It really is. So for them, it was a sword. For you, it's your wallet. So my question is, has your wallet been baptized? Come on, somebody. We're going to have a water baptism service for the wallets immediately after service. Just joking. But the, the, the reality is, guys, we want to be open-handed. Because you know where our anxiety most often resides? In our resources. That's why it's so hard to give. Because it's the control, it's the security. And God's saying, be open-handed. Next one is this. We want to be open-handed to express desires. Man, that's an interesting one. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. God is not out to remove your desires. He's out to redeem them. Because I say that, and the reason I put this one in here is there's some world religions that say to eliminate suffering, remove all desire. And what happens is you can lead to what I call a desolation or an obliteration of self. Get to a a non-existent state where you're completely numb, you want nothing, need nothing, and that's when you've reached a certain level of spirituality. But that's not what Jesus teaches. Christianity teaches that when you're in an impoverished state, you find your identity in communion. You find yourself in communion with a person called Jesus Christ. So when Jesus would often meet with people in impoverished states, a blind person, somebody's daughter is dead, he would often begin with the craziest statement. It was this, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, to the blind person, isn't it obvious? What do you want me to do? But Jesus would ask the question anyway. I wonder what you would say if Jesus were to stand before you right now and say, what do you want me to do for you? Now, some of us in our asking would be very selfish. I want to be rich. I want these things. But you know what the Bible says? When you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, a better translation of that is when you delight yourself in God, he transforms the desires of your heart. Where you wanted revenge, now you want peace. Where you wanted wealth, now you want influence to bless and to help others. So he changes all of those things. And sometimes the thing that we need to do in the place of prayer is come with open hands, not closed. And say, Lord, refine my desires. Here's what I think I want, but I give them to you. And I'm going to leave with this last one. And this one may be the hardest one of all. When we get in a poverty-like state and we get in situations beyond our control, here's the thing we'll often have to let go of is our expectations. Sometimes we have preconditions on our relationship with God it's dangerous to base our worth or our relationship with God on a predicated outcome. God, if you will, I will. Sometimes when we get in impoverished states, we like to just 
say, here's the expectation, and God, here's the thing I need you to do, and here's how I want you to do it, here's the time frame, and here's the person, and here's how I want it, and when I want it. You know, can I just be honest with you? One of the things that will die in your relationship with the Lord is the mirage that he's going to meet your expectations. He will move beyond your expectations, but largely your expectations are going to go unfulfilled. You pray for it to be healed and healing may not come. You pray for it to be restored and it doesn't get restored. But here's what I found out from God is that often what comes beyond even what my expectations are is way better than I even expected in the first place. And I need to stop telling him how to do it, when to do it, and what to do it. Instead, be like this, God, not my will, but your will be done in this. And here's what I mean by that. A better word is letting go of burdens. The scripture says to cast all your anxieties upon the Lord. First Peter says that 5-7, cast all your anxieties. Interesting word. All your weights, your burdens upon the Lord, for he cares for you. It's a great, great verse to pray. You know, how foolish would it be for you and I if we were trying to carry something that we could barely carry? Say we had to deliver something on the 50th floor of a building. One of the best jobs I ever had was delivering flowers when I was in college. Man, talking about having the best job. You made everybody's day every day. You had to take elevators up. You know, some of those things were really heavy. Multiple, multiple things you had to carry. You know, I found how foolish it was of me one day. I'm riding in the elevator, and I'm carrying all these things I could barely carry, and the elevator's going all the way up. When I thought, man, I could just set this on the floor and let the elevator lift me all the way to the top of this thing. You know, sometimes it's very foolish of us in our relationship with the Lord to be close-handed, to carry the burdens and heavy and feel all the pressure Some of us are owning things that God never intended us to own, and we're carrying things God never wanted you to carry. And it's robbing you and destroying you. You're in a poverty-like state, and you're leaning on your own strength and ability to get it done. You're close-handed. Could it be that God wants you to open your hands and let that go? So here's how we're going to respond today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as we close. And we're going to... Respond in a very practical way. I'm going to ask you as they come, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you are familiar with Stone Creek, you know that we believe that we seal every one of our services with a time for you to hear the voice of God and for you to pray. And so, what I want you to do, I want you to create a sacred moment now. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to put your hands out in front of you, but here's how we're going to do it different. I want you to close your fist, and I want you to turn your hands, palms down in a fist. And your fists today represent many things. If you're here and you're not yet saved, you've never put the control of your life in the hands of Jesus. You've never asked him to cleanse you and to forgive you of your sins. You're holding your sins in your hand. You're holding your soul in your hand. If you're here and you've squandered 
the relationship with the Lord and like the prodigal son, you've wandered away, but you know you need to make things right. You're holding all of the rebellion, all of the sin, all of the evil, all of the stuff. You're holding all those moments in your hands right now. And maybe you're a lifelong Christ follower, but you've been carrying heavy burdens. You're holding it in your hand right now. Whatever you wrote on that paper is in your hands. Now, what I want you to do for me, palms down, I want you to open your hands and keep them palms down. And what you're doing in that symbolic action right now, and listen, not in head and heart, but I want you to begin to pray. And I want you to say, Lord, I release to you. I let go of my sin. I let go of my guilt. I let go of control. I let go of my expectations. I'm letting go of my anxieties. I'm letting go of my life controlling addictions. I'm letting them go. I'm letting go of that child that's away from you. I'm letting go of, I can't fix that marriage. I can't. I let it go. Come on, just a few more seconds. Whatever that thing you wrote down, name it. I let it go. Now I want you to turn your hands just, just 180. Just turn them over. And now I just want you to receive. I want you to begin to, if you're here and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, you're in a place of openness. Say, Jesus, save me. I receive your forgiveness. If you're here and you're bound by a life controlling sin or something, Lord, I receive your freedom. I'm letting it go. And if you're here and you're carrying a heavy burden, I receive your strength. I receive your spirit. I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. I receive that joy. I receive the kingdom of heaven. This is how the kingdom of heaven is established in your heart with your open right now, an open-handed trust. I give it to you, Lord. Father, I thank you that in this room people are praying right now. As their hands are open, may your hand come now. I pray that you'd save in this room. I pray that you would set free right now, open hands in this room. Lord, I pray that this would be the beginning of an incredible life transformation in the heart. You said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, we just come in an impoverished state. Lord, we're nothing but beggars. We're destitute. We need your power. We need your strength. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your wisdom. We need your answers. So come, Lord, and let the kingdom of God be established in our hearts and in our circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now please remain standing as we worship the Lord. But let me give you one final instruction. These post-it notes. We have a designated place in the hallway. You'll see a whole bunch of the first service. How many know the first service is just jacked up? I mean, they just messed up. Not you guys. They put all their post-it notes on the wall. I just want you to join them. And what you're going to find out is that many of the things that you're worried about and you feel poverty in, there's a whole lot of other people in the same boat as you. Come on. I want you to put that as you exit on the wall along with everybody else, just right in the hallway. Let's remain standing as we worship the Lord.